Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome, party people, to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves Podcast. What's going on? What's good, kids? Welcome to another episode of The Coach and the Crooner. My name is Julius Collins. I'm joined, as always, by Coach Frank Centwale. What's going on, Coach? Man, uh, the sun is shining in January. That means it's cold outside. <laughs> but the wolves are heating up, my brother. Okay, well, you know, let's get into our squad a little bit. They are coming off of a... They, they now have a three-game winning streak mm-hmm. coming off of a six-game losing streak. And mm-hmm. so I kind of want to get into the impetus behind some of how these things happen, because I, I feel like I've seen a shift in the way they are operating, the way they're playing. Mm-hmm. And then there are just a couple of like uh, peripheral things that happen that I'd like to get into. But there are three players in particular that I think kind of are the touchstones for these conversations that I want to get into. With all you. right. So yes, sir. if I can, let's just, I don't know if I just go ahead and name all three of them. The three players are. Okay. Kyle Anderson. Okay. Uh, Anthony Edwards. Okay. And Austin Rivers. Yes, sir. So I want to start. I want to start with Kyle Anderson. Okay. Because to me, I feel like this is this is found money. I feel like for whatever reason, and I, you know, you and I seem to go back and forth on that one, and it's generally circled around or centered around D'Lo. But for whatever reason, I feel like this team is discovering the um, the ease that comes with that guy being. The distributor, the the mm-hmm. guy who's operating. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I was at the Denver game, uh, uh, which the, is the game that followed the low point of the season up to now, the Detroit, the game. Detroit game, right? And uh, and I had really good seats, which always helps because then I can really watch what's going on on the floor. And uh, I was with Coach McMillan, uh, the head coach over at Richfield. Uh, and, and my Spartans. son, yes, the Richfield Spartans, and uh, my brother, actually, and his son. And we're watching the game, and fourth quarter comes around, uh, last four minutes of the fourth quarter. And I look at uh, Coach McMillan, I say, ooh, man, Kyle Anderson's running a mean point guard game. And he just looks at me and goes, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and, and you know, Finch uh, talks about, you know, be and people forget that before the Rudy Gobert trade, the first move they made in the offseason that they identified was to go out and get Kyle Anderson in free agency. And you're starting to see why. Um, I I think that, and I had to, you know, check myself on this, and I think that all of us as fans and, and maybe even Timberwolves media early have to check ourselves um, with this expectation that things were going to be easy early. And I just think that, you know, Kyle Anderson getting hurt early stunted the progression mm-hmm. of the transitions that were going to happen with this team. And then him being in and out of the lineup didn't really get a consistent flow for what he can do for this team. Um, and now he seems to be healthy. He's playing every night. 
And now you're starting to maybe see an idea of what Finch had in mind for him when they brought him in, especially um, as a facilitator ball handler from he could be playing the two, three or four spot in the fourth quarters when you need to make sure that you get good offensive sets. And I think a lot of things have happened that has also kind of made this a natural thing. The losing streak, um, D'Lo, um, sometimes being in and out of the lineup, sometimes just struggles. Um, and, and then, uh, Kyle Anderson had the Anthony Edwards, excuse me, having the ball in his hands, facilitating more, allowing Kyle Anderson to be that secondary facilitator where when you load up on Ant or when Ant can't get to his spots coming downhill, instead of Ant having to force a tough jump shot, now he can, create that, you know, double team spacing, swing it to Kyle Anderson, and you have an elite level decision maker now as your secondary playmaker. So it's a very um natural, I think, fit. And then defensively, he gives you everything you could want in the fourth quarter of From a game. One through five, he guards. Yeah. Um I like how that Kyle Anderson's game a lot. Mm-hmm. I liked his game before he came here. Absolutely. And uh the phrase adult in the room does come to mind yeah. when he's on the court. Absolutely. And I think, I think Cat being hurt, yep. obviously was the impetus for him moving into the starting lineup. But I think what we're learning now, and for me, it's like, I understand what you're saying when you said there's a, there's a incremental element to this in terms of getting better and understanding what to expect from your teammates. This has been, right. we talked about this with Rudy and we'll just go ahead and extrapolate that right over to Kyle Anderson. But what I'm seeing from Kyle Anderson is what Kyle Anderson does. And for whatever reason, it hasn't been good enough for, or maybe it's a contractual thing. His contract comes up or he gets traded or whatever. The, but to me, he's exactly what this team needs. He's exactly what the young players on this team needs. And frankly, he's exactly what the, what the veteran players on this team need. He seems to be conduit. He, and, and ultimate glue guy. And, but this is a glue guy who makes decisions. You know, he's making, to me, I think, I don't think there's any doubt that Delo's the best passer on the squad, but for me, I want the ball. I trust the ball in Kyle Anderson's hands. The ball's going to move. And what, what I feel like we've, we're learning is Jaden McDaniels is more effective when the ball moves. Kyle Anderson's whole approach to being a distributor um, seems to be focused on movement, focused on uh, making the defense have to make decisions. So instead of, Getting a shot up now. He is. He's also shooting it better now lately. Also, even from deep. But I see, like intricately, how he should be involved. As far as I'm concerned, the last five minutes of games. He's more of a true point guard in terms of how he thinks the game than I think anybody else on the team. I went on Twitter that night and said, "This dude's the best point guard in this team." And and he has said in the media multiple times. You know, I've always played point guard. I consider myself a point guard, and he. He manipulates the game like a point guard. And again, when you have guys loading up on Ant and then he's catching and he's attacking the closeouts. And now you have Rudy, you have a big, you know, 6'10 Kyle Anderson who can pass over the top to Rudy. He's probably, you know, him and Jalen Noel, one and one A, have probably been the ones who have found Rudy in the lob game the best this season. Um, and then you have floor spacing, which 
recently that floor spacings come in the form of Austin Rivers, and now you add Torian Prince to that mix, and you know we know what Delo can do shooting the ball. Um, it, it just creates an element where. You know, one of the things when Ant and Delo are one in one a um, primary ball handlers, you know that their first instinct is going to be to create the shot, especially fourth quarters, for themselves. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, Ant said as much. Yeah, uh, when when running point and the number of plays that that Finch apparently was calling from the bench, and he's like, "Well, you know, I have to be honest. If you don't call plays, I'm gonna shoot the ball. <laughs> if I call the play, I'm gonna call the play me. with me in mind. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and that, and so, and and I don't think Digo necessarily calls a play with him in mind, but I think he's absolutely looking to get to his spots where Kyle Anderson is looking to manipulate to make the right play, whatever that may be, and and then his pace." really takes advantage of defenses over rotating, over helping. And then his size allows him oftentimes he's um, because that whole slow-mo concept, because he's reading things that defenses are taught to rotate, right? In advance of a play defenses are taught to anticipate where the ball is going to go next, what the next play is going to be. It's really hard to anticipate when the person who has the ball is so deliberate. Because if you make one false step, they still have the time to take advantage of that false step. You know, the perfect example of that in the league right now is Luka Doncic. Or, or I, said, I said Joker, but he, I think those are the two best right, examples. Right. Um, and, and it's funny because we talked about that, I think, in the first or second pod. We talked he about he's not Doncic, but in terms of playing at your own pace and dictating the flow of an offense or dictating the rotations of a defense. Yeah. And he can't be dictated, nation, too, because he's going to play at his pace. Because he's not going to get sped up. And then at the end of the day, when you take all of that away, he's got a guy 6'6 six, six on him and he's 6'10, six, 6'11 six, and he's getting them six to eight feet from the basket and he's got all these little crafty finishes and pump fakes and ways to draw fouls and just, I mean, he just seems like he's a nightmare to have to guard when the ball swings from one side of the floor to the other and you have to close out to him. And then you now add the fact that he's shooting 40% from the three-point line to that, which, remember, we talked the very first podcast, and I said Kyle Anderson's going to be a better three-point shooter than his numbers the last year or so in Memphis give him credit for. And that's, you know, one of the few things I've said that's turned out to be right <laughs> this year. So, uh, you know, uh, I think Kyle Anderson's – I'll just call it ascension, but we talked about this in pre-pro before we started here. The team and at and you know, everybody seems to be playing better. Yeah. For for whatever reason. And I do want to get into that when and we talk about But him about having it. the ball is a big reason. But why. I think Kyle Anderson touching the ball more is a big reason why they seem less uh I should say they seem more organized and less frantic or less prone to making immature mistakes because our guards still turn the ball over too much. Both of them mm-hmm. turn the ball over too much, um, and that and I realize that that is that is something along with rebounding that is, it, you know, if they want to win it in the playoffs, they're going to have to find solutions to those problems. But Kyle Anderson, to me, I won't go as far as saying cheat code, but to me, he has unlocked something new, uh, cerebrally, collectively with this squad, where they realize this dude is, you know, he's going to make the right play. Chances are I'm going to touch the rock, and it's not going to be one of those things where it's heat check time from 
either one of our guards. Now, I'm fine with that from one of those two guards just because I'm I'm biased in this way in terms of what this team's future looks like going forward. But I think Kyle Anderson, and I don't want to say taking the ball out of D'Lo's hands at the ends of games, but to me, I like the idea of him touching it. And what's going to happen when Cat comes back? Well, the benefit of having a six-game losing streak and it seeming like the house is on fire is Finch pretty much has the very clear mandate of I'm going to play what's going to win us a game night in and night out. Now Cat's going to be on the floor night in and night out Mm -hmm. because Cat wins you games. Um, We know Ant's going to be on the floor night in and night out. I do think that the rest of those guys become, and, and I think Rudy's going to be on the floor most nights, night in and night out, because at the end of the day, he still leads the team in win shares and his defense is still something you have to have on the floor. I think the rest of those guys um, are going to be interchangeable based off of what you need. I see potentially D'Lo, as long as he's on the roster and there's all types of, you know, speculation, conjecture about whether he'll be traded and yada, yada. And his contract situation plays a big role into that. But I see him, even though he'll probably remain a starter as long as he's in a Timberwolves uniform, I see him taking on more of a sixth man type role in terms of there might be some games he just doesn't close because when you put Jaden McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, Torian Prince, Anthony Edwards, you know, on the floor, when you got Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anderson, let's just say you really need, you need defense and you need rebounding and you go Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anthony Towns, Kyle Anderson, Torian Prince, or Jaden McDaniels, either one, depending, and Anthony Edwards, you got everything you need. You most certainly do. So that that's I've been out territory. Yeah. And to me, to me, as I brought up in the last pot, it's energy. So to me, I felt like D'Lo could sense it. He's smart enough to realize that for whatever reason, that lineup is potentially potent and it doesn't include him. And I felt like he was pouting. I felt like Finch... Made an, I mean, the game where Austin Rivers fig, uh, finished on the floor, that was against Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, what I saw was a kind of tenacious defensive energy and uh, a willingness to kind of seed that Ant is going to be our first option. And, and because mm-hmm. he's our first option, the other team knows it's our first option. And now mm-hmm. he's, he seems more inclined and less to give up the ball. So then there goes the movement this team seems to – uh, be enjoying a little bit better ball movement over the last three games. How going forward is is that going to work? How is D'Lo, will he pout if Finch decides in more than one game, more than like consecutive games, a few games in a row where he's finishing on the bench? I don't really think at this point in time anybody cares. I think the onus is on D'Lo. It's not on Finch and it's not on the rest of the guys. I think D'Lo, if he wants to, you know, we don't want to make it. Because early on, I called it political, a move him. that he couldn't make. Finch. Um, well, now he's, right, right he's, now he can make whatever move he wants to make because they lost six games in a row in a Western Conference that is there for the taking. But, you know, we talked in the last pod about them being consistently inconsistent. And what they're going to have to have is consistency. And I think what Kyle Anderson brings to the table is a consistency on both ends of the floor, you know, and I think both in play and temperament. Right. Right. And decision-making. I think, you know, we don't want to have too much conversation about Digo for a third straight podcast, but I'll say this and then leave it alone. 
it's on Delo to find where he fits, and it's not on the team to fit him at this point in time because it's going to be about defense, and it's going to be about ball security, and it's going to be about Ant, period. Ant's going to have the ball down the stretch of games, and where Kyle Anderson comes in to bring it full circle back to Kyle before we move on is that one of the things that was very subtle in the Denver game and um, not as much needed in the Portland game because Ant was on fire in the fourth quarter, but it did happen a little bit, is when Ant needed uh, a possession off the ball or when Ant took a bad shot. And I was at the Denver game, and I very much remember Ant took a bad shot, um, didn't run a play that Finch wanted him to run, took a bad contested three. Uh, Finch calls a timeout, and they come out of the timeout, and Kyle Anderson's handling the one. And they get, you know, a series of good possessions in a row and go on and close out the game. Um, and that's kind of when I looked at, you know, Omar, Coach McMillan, and said, man, Kyle Anderson's running a mean point game. He penetrates, hit Jaden McDaniels in the corner for a big three, like, you know. And so, you know, to to close this out and move forward, one of the reasons I'm why I'm not moving I forward. Say, I got more here. <laughs> one of the reasons why I say it's on on Delo to to figure out where he fits in this mix is because – Kyle Anderson as a secondary decision maker, if Ant goes a little bit youthfully rogue mm-hmm. or um is just gassed and needs a possession where he's not handling the ball, he's capable I think of getting it Finch done. absolutely one hundred percent believes you are going to get a quality shot if Kyle Anderson's facilitating a half court offense down the stretch. I don't know if it's just slow rolling up to this point, part in the pun, or if it's a revelation on Finch's part. But there, it, there is a clear, like, intentionality around allowing Kyle Anderson to operate and, and, and be the orchestrator because he does it. And he's, that seems to be where his spirit is. And he's also healthy. I mean, let's keep in mind, Kyle Anderson got hurt in the Utah game, the first Utah game of the season, which was what? Game three, game four. And he missed a number of games and then he came back and then he missed a few more games. Um, you know. So you think this is just a function of comfort now? He's got some, some minutes under his belt. Yeah. And a function of health and a function of health. I think we would have seen this earlier in the season had he been playing every game. Okay. And you also have to keep in mind when you look at their record, look at how many games they played without Carl Anthony Towns. Look at how many games they played without Kyle Anderson and Carl Anthony Towns. Mm-hmm. And then look at how many games they played without Kyle Anderson, Kyle Anthony Towns, and Jordan McLaughlin and Torian Prince. Mm-hmm. Those are four guys that from a style of play perspective, from a ball movement, from a defense, from a hustle, from an effort, from an energy standpoint, and then of course, Cat being all NBA, you know, if, if this team is healthy, which every NBA team can say this, but if this team is healthy, are they two games under 500 or four games over 500? Okay. I, I, you know, which is why we're going back to the last two podcasts. I said the last 40 games are going to be interesting for me. All right. So let's move forward then Damn. and cast our gaze to that because at this point now I'm, I'm really looking to extrapolate this mess forward. So you're, mm-hmm. that becomes your 40 game, uh, point becomes more and more profound every time we do one of these pods because of a variety of reasons. They're learning each other, injuries. Uh, Finch is trying to figure out the right combinations for the right situations. Mm-hmm. But that 40, now I'm, I'm on that train. I'm on the 40 game train. I feel like 
whether it's a function of he's been hurt and now he's playing more, I feel like, or whether it's, you know, a revelation on the part of Finch, Kyle Anderson will be crucial going forward. He will mm-hmm. be maybe like the mo- maybe not the most central uh, member to that you know that unit on the floor, mm-hmm. but to me he'll be central to their ph- their philosophical approach to winning. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm excited about what's happening with that dude, and I'm excited about the way he's being used now. And to me, he's a perfect fit in that backcourt with Ant when necessary. Mm-hmm. And he obviously he can do it from the wing, he can do it from the post a little bit, but I like his size. And his mindset mm-hmm. uh, next to Cat. We we talked about Austin Rivers a little bit, and mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a hullabaloo surrounding a team meeting, uh, uh, members only mm-hmm. meeting. Um, Speculated. I mean, we pretty much know that it was a team meeting because it was right after the Detroit loss and the and the, the rock, rock bottom baby. Yeah. One of the rock bottom meetings. So I want to ask you this question two ways. One one as a coach, mm-hmm. and just like your general like idea. Because I have my feelings about uh, what's happened since the meeting, and mm-hmm. I don't know what you think of players-only meetings. But as a coach, mm-hmm. how important are players-only meetings? I think it varies, depends on what level that you're coaching at. I think in the NBA it's extremely important because the coach is a preparer and and – ego manager at the NBA level. The players run the ship. Okay, so that gets to my point. After the players-only meeting, Mm -hmm. there was a very specific quote. Well, there were two, but one very pointed quote out of Austin Rivers. Yeah, after the Denver game, which was the game after the Detroit game. And this, oddly enough, somebody mentioned this on Twitter, but there's been a version of this quote from three different players now, from from Ricky Rubio, Mm -hmm. And then last year from Pat Bev, mm-hmm. and now this year from Austin Rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, three different kinds of leaders, but all very much leaders. Mm-hmm. They're all very much, you know, the kind of locker room guys you want in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Rivers was very clear about who he thinks the man on this team is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's been far too much ambiguity. So my question to you, not as a coach, but just as someone who's observing what's going on now with this team, <sighs> How does this impact two people, mm-hmm. D'Lo mm-hmm. and Cat D'Lo? Because there's there have already been some ramifications surrounding whatever reason Finch decided he wants to go with other lineups at other times. So he's already got to get himself like prepared for that. But this comment was really almost directed at two guys, and Cat's injured right now. He heard that, or maybe he was in the meeting. What? How does that affect those two cats? I think time will tell. I think I've already said, I think it's up to D'Lo to figure out where he fits, um, what his role is going to be on this team as long as he's here. Because the things that, I mean, every team can use the things he does well. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. Um, his his playmaking and his shooting, every team in the NBA, you can't have enough playmaking and shooting in the modern game. But, but it's so good right now that – if you can get the playmaking from Kyle Anderson and the shooting out the corners that he's been doing lately from Austin Rivers, it kind of offsets that because of what they bring to the table defensively. Now, if you can get the defense 
of Austin Rivers and the playmaking of Kyle Anderson out of D'Lo along with D'Lo's shooting. I'm not saying, I'm saying. But you ain't going to get it, man. You ain't well, going to get that because well, the, to I, me. I'll tell you what, you got it in the Clippers game. Okay. Now, whether or not, so we've talked about this team being consistently inconsistent. I'm not saying that it's going to be sustainable, but I also, I'm saying that given all of the factors at play, the contract, and we talked about this earlier, what type of deal we're going to get this year. We talked about this first podcast, being that it's a contract year, being that um, his value is showing that he can be a leader on a championship level team. Well, some of those things have all kind of come out in the wash. Mm -hmm. Now I think it's a simple matter of this is a contract year and, um, whether it comes in the form of a new contract with the Wolves, whether it comes in the form of a trade at the trading deadline to a team that might be interested in re-signing you or letting you go at the end of the year for free agency, or whether it would come in the form of a sign and trade at the end of the season, whatever the case is, the amount of money you get paid next year is going to be determined by what you put on tape this year right now with this team. And so, you know, and maybe, I don't know, we won't know. We won't know what type of a role that plays in his thinking. He might be the chill type that's like, I just go out and play. But what I have seen the last two games is a guy that's diving on the floor for loose balls, diving out of bounds for loose balls, actually boxing out and rebounding, being safe with the basketball. Um, And in the Clippers game, adding his shooting and playmaking to all of that. So we'll see. That's up to okay. him to figure out. Well, I have, a, I have a very vivid image in my mind mm-hmm. of the end of the Portland game. So, and I was watching Austin Rivers guard. Now I realize it's just one game and everybody's not mm-hmm. Dane. Mm-hmm. And everybody's not Anthony Simons. Mm-hmm. But those two dudes represent clear and present danger. And for the most part, that is life mm-hmm. in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And... Watching Austin Rivers take Dame, mm-hmm. and let's just be honest, if Austin Rivers isn't on the floor and D'Lo's on the floor, then either Jaden or Ant has to guard Dame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you got Anthony Simons, and then you got, um, uh, what's my man, small forward? I can't think of his name. Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant, who's, mm-hmm. who's making shots like crazy that and game. you got Josh Hart playing, you know. Okay, but Jeremy Grant and, and those guards can murder you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I saw Austin Rivers... Nobody's going to stop Dame, but I, I saw Austin Rivers made life tough. presenting issues for that dude having it easy. He made life tough. And therefore, I, I felt like Ant could abuse Anthony Simons in a way that was demoralizing for him. I mean, Ant was posting that mug up mm-hmm. and having his way with him like he was, like he was the junior high school. Now, I, I will say there's a lot of factors that played into that. I Let's think, hear it. I think, one, um, because, again, and Finch – mentioned it in the press after the game. I do think Digo was playing very well defensively and an effort in that game. Um, and Finch even mentioned that it wasn't anything anti Digo. He felt like Digo had played good defense, but Digo was playing good defense where Austin Rivers was playing great defense. Okay. So, and that, and that's going to, and I think that's also a function of the six game losing streak at this point in time. It's not about, it's not about, you know, Finch doesn't have to compromise to anyone's no. ego or personality. At but this if stage. D'Lo was on that floor, that would have been a seven-game losing streak. Maybe. It would have been. I mean, the way Ant had it rolling, maybe. Because at the end of the day, what really happened was Ant stared down Dame time and came out ahead, and that don't happen to him. And Dame was getting off, so but, that's but here's, true. But here's the other part about that, too, is that Finch could go with that lineup 
because of how dominant Ant was in the fourth quarter. There's going to be times, especially with Cat out, where they might need scoring in the fourth quarter, and Ant doesn't have it rolling like that, and he might need Deagle on the floor, but he needs Deagle on the floor to play good to the best defense he can and still provide that offense. In that particular game, he didn't need Deagle's offense or playmaking he could go strictly defense and let Ant do what Ant was doing, but there's going to be times. And that's why I said Delo's important. And it's not just a function of, well, we don't need Delo because of what Austin rivers can do because Austin rivers can't do certain things that Delo can do. And I think it's going to be very game specific. Also, um, Nurkic, and Simons were in foul trouble. So one of the things that helped Ant go off in the fourth quarter was he didn't have to worry about Nurkic down low to contest because Nurkic was trying to stay in the game. So he's not going to contest with the same level of um, intensity because he's not trying to foul out. And Simons isn't going to play defense as aggressively because he's not trying to foul out. And that was stuff that happened throughout the course of the game that led up to that. So from a coach's standpoint, there's a lot of factors that played into there. But the number one factor being coming on the heels of a six-game losing streak, getting the win against Denver, and being really having the attitude of, we need to get every freaking win that we can. Um, and so I don't want to read too much into it um, in terms of like D'Lo not closing the game because I think there's going to be times where who closes the game is fluid, but I think most of the time you're going to see Anthony Edwards, Kyle Anderson, and Rudy Gobert on the floor with any and combination Kat. of two other – and one cat's and healthy, Kat. obviously, and Cat. And, but as long think, as Cat's out in combination with other people. There's no way you're sitting Cat at the end of a game. No, no, that's really my whole point. So, And now that we've seen how functional, mm-hmm. how important – Somebody, well, specifically Kyle Anderson is mm-hmm. to calming the storm, mm-hmm. organizing. Mm-hmm. That's playoff mentality basketball, mm-hmm. especially in the, at the last uh, four or five minutes of the game. And he's a matchup problem. So you, you got Rudy, mm-hmm. and, and assuming you, you 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 continue to go with Rudy mm-hmm. and Cat, you got Rudy and Cat, mm-hmm. and then I'm I'm assuming you would still play. Because it still gives you your best. To me, it still gives you your off, best offensive and def- yeah, defensive Kyle's potential going to be by having Kyle Anderson on the floor. He's, and frankly, he's proven that he can play with Jaden. Unless, unless again, there's going to be times where maybe he's not on the floor because maybe Jaden's just having one of those games. And but may, he's and, proven that he can play with Jaden. They don't seem to. But but if uh, so, getting each other's way. So so Ant's going to be on the floor if you are playing from ahead. And Jaden's having one of those games, and Delo's on a heater. You're not taking Delo off the floor. You're just not. Okay. So All it's I- gonna. So there's going to be circumstances, and that's why I said I think it's going to be fluid as long as Delo's on the team. And I think if Delo wants to be in it, and we talked about this with Malik Beasley last year. Um, you know, before the pod, we've talked about this. You know, before we started this pod with Malik Beasley last year. Deal's kind of in the same position. Do you want to be the guy on a bad team or do you want to be a super role player on a team that has, you know, deep playoff run aspirations and potential? And that's the, and that's where Deal's at. So he, it's up to him to maximize his effort okay. and energy and little things because if he wants to be a super role player on a team with aspirations, He's going to have to play really hard to stay on the floor on this team, given its personnel. 
And if he wants to be the guy on a bad team or on a young team, then he's going to have to play really hard to get his value up. Okay, so you know, here we go again, making it a D-Lo podcast. Right, so let's but go back I, to Austin. But, but no, but I think this, this is important because for me, you just crystallize this whole thing because I, I, we don't agree on this. To me, I think I'm seeing something. I am a genius reader of, of energy and trends. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm teasing with the genius part, mm-hmm. but to me, I am sensing, uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. He's playing harder for whatever reason, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, somebody got in his ear and said, listen, man, this is your money you're messing with, right. whether you stay here or not. But to me, you bring up what I would consider the most ideal scenario mm-hmm. for that guy. Mm-hmm. Sixth man. Mm-hmm. To me, he is the kind of dude who would thrive, like Lou Williams thrives at being mm-hmm. a sixth man because you, can, you don't have to have a conscience and you can run things. But sometimes D'Lo's offense can can bog down stuff if he's just if he's the guy being the primary ball handler. When I see him being, I think, ultra effective is when he's off the ball because when he catches and shoots, he's he, he's just he's, he's he's a floor spacer mm-hmm. and a shot maker like a mug. Going forward, there's not room for him and Jalen Noel on this team, but they got to have one of the two. Interesting. But that's, you know, has getting it, into next year. Has Jalen Noel's play warranted a future with this team? I think so. Again, I... That wasn't a know, negative comment. That's no, right. an actual I, I, you curiosity. Know, um, I've, been, I've been going back and forth with a guy on Twitter um, who I do not know. Um, that's the nature of Twitter, but uh, about D'Lo, um, and I think that he thinks that I'm harder on D'Lo than I actually am. Um, and then there's the Jalen Noel stands, and I think fans of both of those guys are maniacal about the the positives they bring. In well, fans you, you, are, you know, I've, I've compared D'Lo to Kirk Cousins. Their, right, their fans right. are very – they're going to have their guy. And I think um, for both of those guys, perception and reality are not necessarily um, on a parallel. Um, but D'Lo's reality is being crystallized because he's in a contract year. Right. Well, so is Jalen Noel. So okay, but on, okay on, on different <laughs> levels, because I don't know how much appeal Jalen Noel has to other teams around the league. A D, lot. But D'Lo's reputation, if he's not careful, is going to be crystallized. Well, he's going to be a sixth man next year, no matter where, in my opinion, no matter where he's at, unless he's on a team that is bottom half of the league. I think any... And this is just my opinion, but in my opinion, a team with deep playoff run aspirations is going to offer him a top flight six man contract next year. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a team with deep aspirations is going to offer him anywhere near a max or a starting point guard salary uh, going into next year, I just think his defensive deficiencies, his um, amount of years in the league, that kind of you are who you are type thing at this mm-hmm. stage is going to warrant that. Um, okay, you are who you are. The question is, does he know who he is? Because, I think he, I think because he you knows. don't get to this level and not have, you know, maybe an outsized sense of who you he are. Knows who he is. I think he knows who he is. And I think that, um, and I think Finch knows who he is. And I think that. You know, the mandate, again, is on him to figure out his fit on this team as long as he's on this team because Finch going forward is going to do what he feels like fits 
personnel wise for this team to win games. And that's again, where let's bring it back full circle to Austin Rivers comment about Ant basically being their guy. Um, it, it just reminded me of, and in no way am I making the comparison to Ant being LeBron or, you know, D Wade no, or any of that, but it just, it reminds me of when D Wade came out in Miami when they were 500 um, the year that LeBron and Bosch went over to Miami and they were 500 and, you know, people were criticizing them and it was early and they're trying to figure out how it all works. And D Wade said to LeBron, this is your team, you know, this is your team and we'll follow and play our roles and follow your lead. And then that team took off and, you know, mm-hmm. the rest is history. Um, and, little caveat though. Yeah. Both those guys had won rings and well, LeBron hadn't won a ring yet. He had been to the finals. That's right. He had, he had not won a ring okay. yet. So, um, but, but LeBron was ascending into his peak form. I mean, he was, yeah, but. So well, that's a, that's it, an element of humility from. That's, yes. No, no doubt. It's still but that's humility from Dwayne Wade, which we don't find all that surprising. Well, Self-awareness also, and a willingness to win. And also, let's be honest, Shaq had done that to him. When Shaq went right. to Miami, right. Shaq we was did like, have this, conversation. this is your team. This is, you know, we're going to go as far as you take us. You want to be one of the best in the league? This is your opportunity. I'll help you, you know. And and so, but I do think that. Um, well, I don't get that sense from D'Lo to Ant in this way. I, I get more big brother, little brother vibes sometimes. You know, it's funny, though, because you say that and we talk about D'Lo's play, you know, the last couple of games. And that's the vibe that I get get from his play the last couple of games. The vibe that I get is Austin Rivers has said this. Uh, Torian Prince has basically talked about Ant as a top flight scorer in the league. I feel like whatever they talked about in that locker room, and we've talked about this on the pod before, talking about Sam Mitchell telling Kevin Garnett, hey, you do the $100 million man, big dog. Don't be yelling at screaming at everybody else. It's on you to fix things around here. You know, obviously Ant doesn't have the big contract yet, but I do feel like there was a sense of, um, all right, young fella, you know, it's, 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 and if, and so here's the deal. So if, if I see any deviation from that, I'm a holler. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I think, I think here's the deal. Even if Digo wasn't, you know, whatever, let's just say his ego was in the way. I think if you have Austin Rivers, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, so on and so forth, all saying that and saying it privately and publicly, you better get on board or you're not going to play. That was part of the beauty (laughs) of Pat Bev going, going, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? So I feel like this is a different version of that. It it is because it's a different answer. Another year evolved, but at the end of the day, and this is also, you're seeing, you know, Finch already put the ball in Ant's hands, you know, and part of that happened when Delo got hurt. And so mm-hmm. there's, again, injuries have created a natural kind of pieces of this puzzle starting to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, you know, this team, offensive numbers, percentage, shoot, field goal percentage, so on and so forth has gone up um, since they put the ball in Ant's hands. And I think um, – Ant's aggression in attacking the basket, not settling, has gone up. His post-ups have gone okay, up. Okay, so we're segueing into the third person that I wanted to get at because I want to get into it with you on those things. Right. But before we... But you wanted to ask about Cat, how it was going to affect Cat. Yes, you go ahead. you didn't mention how it was going to affect Cat. Yeah. Because um, I, I do think that is the wild card. 
and, and, you know, I've talked to some people behind the scenes and, you know, all these guys are prideful and they got egos. I just get a sense. And maybe it's me thinking if I was Colin Anthony Towns, I just get a sense that as long as they're winning, he won't care. And on top of that, it could, again, I don't know cats personally. So, you know, but I just seem like for me, it would feel like a relief. It would feel like a relief from the standpoint of, okay, young guy got it. I don't have to bear the brunt of all of that pressure and I can just go out and play. You know what I'm saying? So I do think that, you know, how it will affect Cat, we won't know, but I just don't think Cat will care who is the man. I think that, you know, you can absolutely facilitate through Cat down the stretch of games and there's going to be times where they do that. Just like there's going to be times where they facilitate through Kyle. And most of the time, Ant's going to have the ball in his hands. And I just think that as long as they're winning and winning at a high level, I just, I mean, when you get $250 million Supermax and you're all NBA player, all there's left to do is win. And I just don't think. Unless you care about status. And so I think he's intelligent enough to realize that if they're winning. Because what's the only status he doesn't have yet? Champion. He's got all the other status. Okay. All NBA. Okay. Supermax. But like, dudes, still want, dudes still have entourages or people who are saying shit in their ear. And so I do think that's real. And I'm not saying he's that dude, but. I think he's I think quirky enough to not care. Well, <laughs> really he better do. be quirky enough to not care because I think his future is predicated on that. Now, I I don't. I'm not saying that he's going to like upset the apple cart, but I am concerned because I think we're learning stuff. Like you said, mm-hmm. with, with injuries, we're learning that Kyle Anderson is crucial to efficient offense, offense for this squad. Mm-hmm. Efficient. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, you can get explosive with Ant and, and Cat is in otherworldly offensive talent, but, mm-hmm. but in terms of organization mm-hmm. and orchestration and, uh, you know, reducing turnovers at crucial times, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, having a, I mean, you said this when we we're talking beforehand, but to me, it's just so profound because it's like, and he's not the best dribbler, so I don't mean to take this literally. But when you were we were talking about your daughter playing basketball, you're like the best dribbler is going to is going to have the ball because mm-hmm. chances are that's the most trustworthy person. In this case, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take dribbling and make it about orchestration. Because he is the most trustworthy mm-hmm. orchestrator. So when Cat comes back and Finch at that point has learned beyond a shadow of a doubt that Kyle Anderson on the floor in the last five minutes is crucial to this team's uh, intellectual approach to playing mm-hmm. as much as just instrumental in how functional they can be mm-hmm. with winning. I'm curious about that dynamic. I'm not saying it's going to cost him shots even. In fact, I think it might make his shots easier. Mm-hmm. But in this case... And to me, we're going to get into this, has discovered the beauty of rebounding and what it can do for him mm-hmm. with the speed dribble up the court. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, the loaf thing that he was doing, he's doing less of. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Anderson and Cat, to me, can be formidable mm-hmm. if Cat is a willing participant. I think he will be. It's, it's funny. Um, uh, so uh, 
Dane had posted a video of Aunt Dane Moore. Dane Moore, yes. Who I just, you know, Love Dane, podcast. Dane, Dane's yeah, man. got a great podcast. Shout out to Dane. Yeah. Um, and he had posted a video a couple of days ago, um, and he said, uh, and I'm reading from his post, Anthony Edwards is taking 16 shots out of post-up situations this season. Mm-hmm. That action with Ant has generated 1.375 points per possession. The only player um, – who's posted up 15 plus times with the higher uh, points per possession uh, is Jason Tatum. And a gentleman that I've been going uh, uh, chatting with on Twitter says um, about Dane Moore's post. He says, uh, uh, talking about, and he can't do that with two bigs on the floor unless cat goes to the corner. Otherwise it's damn near impossible. And I just responded, well, cat better be working on his corner three. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and, it, and I really do think it's that simple. I think the player who's most likely going to be top. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think Torian Prince is going to be on the floor in some big fourth quarter moments, but I think the player that's most likely going to be toggled more than Dilo even until something happens is, is, is Jade McDaniels. Um, I don't see it, but I hear you. Unless um, it's foul trouble. But, but again, it also depends on whether they need offense or defense. But, um, you know, if, if, if Kyle is initiating screen and roll offense or, you know, ball reversal, attack the closeout offense, and you got Rudy in the dunker spot for the lob, and, you know, you got Ant spacing out, um, and Kyle's coming downhill, um, and listen, man, Jaden's been a good partner for Kyle coming down. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. But cats, you know, Kyle's also playing cats position right now. And so, um, you know, if cats in the corner, um, I think that's, I think that's beyond gold. I think that's, you know, natural cut, you know, diamonds because we've already seen Kyle be really good lobbing the Rudy. We know what Ant's going to do attacking the closeout, and we know how good of a catch-and-shoot guy Ant is. And if you got cat space in the floor, you know, um, I just think that that's – I just think that that's, uh, that's a lot to deal with. When you're talking, I'm I'm usually trying to visualize mm-hmm. things. Because the other side shooter is either going to be Digo or Prince or Jaden. To me – and, 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 again, and again, this is a function of what you need. I, I get that. But to me – you always need I mean if you have guys on the floor that are, are or rivers that way. are yeah that are ant and cat who are going to you know reasonably speaking touch the ball mm-hmm. and expect to touch the ball what you ideally want are people who don't expect to touch the ball but are ready to perform when the ball comes to them to me Jay McDaniels has been more of that lately than than I think he's having his best season He's having a great season. I think he's having I think his best he's getting season. better as the season goes and on. And I think he and Slomo are very different players, but to me, they go with everybody. Yeah, their, I would agree. Their style of play matches with whoever the hell's on, on, the, the floor. on the floor with them. I agree. Them. And that's not always the case. I would say the same thing with Torian Prince, though. Okay, but that's to me, that's a dude who just knows intellectually what to do. And maybe it's maybe he's it's his game a too. Knockdown shooter. He's a shooter, and he plays defense. He takes charges. He does the little things. He's another clue guy. Okay, so he's. Yeah, I would put in that same. He goes with everybody, which is obviously a beautiful thing. So we're gonna we're gonna see how this plays out. I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see 
how it plays out when Cat comes back. They got a lot of guys when they're healthy, and I think the key to unlocking it all has been Anthony Edwards giving him the ball and saying, "This is you're going to be the guy." Because we're not even talking about when Jordan McLaughlin comes back. I mean, there's they got a lot of guys, and that's why I keep saying that it's not on the team at this point in time. Once they've made the decision that Ant's going to have the ball, it's not on the team to figure out where how to get D'Lo off with this personnel. It's on D'Lo to figure out how to get and stay on the floor down the stretch of games. And, you know, Finch has always said about him that it's about defense. And, you know, and like I said, D'Lo might just be a supersized version of Jalen Noel right now. And so really they – when you start to talk the way you're talking about Kyle and and his role and his facilitating, you know, in fourth quarters, D'Lo and Jalen Noel become a little bit redundant. But again, D'Lo being the superior passer, again, and the better shot maker, and just the better high, that better basketball IQ guy. But again, it's, it's all well, and it's really all about. Delos effort, hustle, defense, willingness to do the little things, the winning things. And like I said, the last couple of games, I've seen a guy diving on the floor, like understanding that dude, Anthony Edwards is the star backcourt player on this team, period. Okay, so let's get to him because he's the third of the three that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. to you about. And I was just trying to find the quote, but I can't find the quote. But Damian Lillard recently mm-hmm. had some remarks about him. Mm-hmm. And... I found them fascinating for a couple of reasons, not just because they just lost the game and that was, you know, outdueled him, mm-hmm. essentially. But they were specific in nature. Uh, he says Ant, something to the effect of Ant is figuring it out. Mm-hmm. He's, he's mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Because he's got a lot of resp- – because that's a – basically, Damien was uh, – uh, Damien Lillard was talking about the responsibility – that comes with being that guy down the stretch. Down the of stretch. Games. Specifically down the stretch. Yeah. So I saw, I'm seeing things from him that I'm, I'm loving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one, I, I love that he's figured out <laughs> if he gets the rebound, he gets to touch the ball. Mm-hmm. And it seems kind of funny, but it unlocks a lot of stuff for a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it takes, now that he's sprinting it up, it takes Delo's jog up. We're going to play at my pace all the time kind of mentality, in my opinion, mm-hmm. out of the equation more when he goes and gets the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, because with Finch in his ear, there's less just pull-up jumpers without anybody else touching the ball. And mm-hmm. I've seen him call timeout now a couple of times after that. So that clearly is a point of emphasis. He's rebounding the ball. Mm-hmm. I saw him... Posting up, mm-hmm. which to me, with Jordan, watching Jordan, it was like he was physically superior, but he also knew that he, he had to check that 30-point-a-game box, mm-hmm. and he was eight points a quarter. That was his thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ant realizing he can post people up mm-hmm. is unlocking everything else about his offensive game. And it's a natural progression. I mean, Jordan didn't start doing that until, you know, year four, five, six in the league. Okay, so he's rebounding, Mm -hmm. he's posting up, which Mm -hmm. I think is going to – it's a whole new way to compromise the defense, Mm -hmm. especially if he's willing to pass it because he's going to start getting doubled down there Mm -hmm. if he isn't already. And then just like his overall, like, 
game worldview. Mm-hmm. Seems now again, he's a young dude growing up. But Austin Rivers made a point. He's five years from his prime, six mm-hmm. years from his prime. Mm-hmm. So this is a dude who is ascending into everything we want him to be. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing about the Austin Rivers quote, which was my favorite thing about the Pat Beverly quote, which is my favorite thing about the Ricky Rubio quote, he doesn't mind when a veteran dude gets in that ass. Mm-hmm. He's coachable. So what are your thoughts on Anthony Edwards and what seems to be uh, uh, that third season jump that everybody has been hoping talking about, but it seemed more incremental than it has recently. Uh, it, it takes me back to um, an interview he was doing his rookie year. And um, you know, one of the things is we speak oftentimes off of memory or off of what's going on, which is what makes our podcast a little bit unique is I'm no, I'm not going to bother to go do the research and find out who the interview was with. But, <laughs> um, but I do remember him being asked, you know, what's something that people might be surprised to know about you or what's something people don't know about you or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I'm actually smarter than I look. Yeah. Um, I'm actually a pretty I smart remember guy. That. Yeah. Right. And, and I think what you're seeing is him processing and applying at a really high rate to the things. Processing that, is a good word. Yeah. To the things that have happened and the things that are happening. Um, he very rarely do you see him be defended one way by a team and then, um, not have an answer for that the next time he plays that team or another team defends him that way. And I think the Portland game is, is a perfect example. There was a play that I like to highlight, um, fourth quarter. He's making his run. He's got the ball on the right wing and they send a double team at him. And we talked uh, in the last pod, or maybe it was two pods ago, about how he was getting really good at making the cross-court pass and, and reading the passing out of double teams because um, the Clippers uh, in L.A. threw so many double teams at him. Um, and and I had uh, been talking about how there are times where he can keep the ball out of the double team because you can only double team NBA players for so long. Oh, right. And so he made a play – where he dribbled away from the double team instead of giving up the ball and dragged the double team away from the basket. And then the double team man had to recover back. And then when the double team man recovered back, he crossed over toward the middle of the paint, basically running up the double team man's back. So as he's mm-hmm. running away, Ant's running up his back. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so a couple of things about this play. One, he had Austin Rivers holding his hands up wide open in the corner. I mean, he was wide open. So that's a play where LeBron probably makes that pass. Mm-hmm. That's the, the beauty of LeBron. Mm-hmm the beauty of Ant and we start to make that kind of MJ comparison that people like to make, mm-hmm. which I don't like to get into. No, but and I didn't mean to make that comparison, right. but it is the most concrete example. Right. I had. right. Um, where he slices to the middle of the paint now that the double team is retreating. And then he makes an unbelievable kind of, you know, double pump scoop under the defense for uh, a layup. And to me, it was, that play, I kind of went, it was one of them where you make the, 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 the doo-doo face and you go, ooh, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, because that play was, to me, indicative of how fast this young man is growing in his basketball understanding of what teams are doing to him and how he can attack that where, you know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, he might make the skip pass across the court. This partic- Or he might, you know, 
try to force something speeding around the double team and trying to force something where everybody sees him coming. Mm -hmm. He showed extreme patience and extreme court manipulation. And then his athleticism and his Anthony Edwards stuff was the finish. And I kind of thought to myself, if he's getting to that level, this team, Finch can really feel good about putting the ball in his hands. Mm -hmm. And this team's going to be a problem because on the floor was Kyle Anderson. So even if he does, and Austin Rivers. So even if he does pass out of the double team, you have two really solid decision makers on the other side of the floor. And that goes back to when Finch was asked about that closing lineup. And he talked about, well, yeah, we got really high IQ guys on the floor. And I felt lineup. like that. I mean, I, this is becoming my favorite pod word, but I felt like that was intentional. I think everything him, he says is intentional. I, I, that, was particularly, well, I that was particularly <laughs> intentional. And he gets it, it. It it's, it's to me, it's a function of being loose with the ball or taking bad shots or, or not hustling or blocking out the whole team. Like what's been the problem with this team? All of those things, being loose with the ball, not hustling, not blocking out. And there's, and there's still, you know, we talked about the, the Clippers game was a perfect case in point where the focus against an undermanned team. Fans are going to look at the, the final score and say, you know, oh, well, they blew the Clippers out. I'm looking at the fact that the Clippers took 19 more shots, got 18 offensive rebounds, and the Timberwolves turned the ball over 19 times. Hmm. That's not sustainable for winning. No. Right. And so, and so, the focus, like tonight's game to me, is a big telltale. Do you go into Houston tonight? They play the Rockets with or without Ant playing. Mm -hmm. And we talked about all these other components: Jalen Noel, D'Lo, right? Especially if Ant doesn't play, and you're D'Lo, and you want to stay on this team, you want a big contract, or you want to be traded. If Ant doesn't play, you got to go out there and you got to work your butt off, and you got to go out there and get 25 points and eight. Who they play last? They played uh, the Clippers last. Okay, so this is the game Ant and got hurt. Yeah, well, yeah, I, and I don't. Or I should say, this I, is the game I think where it's a function of they had such cumulative. a big lead where Finch goes. If we can, this is a time that we can rest that hip. Okay, that's what I think. Well, and maybe he might be looking at this Rockets team like if we're serious, we got to be, be able to win this game. Well, I feel Ant. like I feel like what we learned. Not, I mean, obviously, one game can be an aberration, but I feel like what we learned and. Because we, I feel like there's been a lot of reliance on Ann, especially over the last, well, since Cat's been out, but particularly over these last 10, 12 games where he's been playing really, really well. I feel like D'Lo made a point of saying, and because he has somebody like, um, like Kyle Anderson who can facilitate and free him up for easy shots, I feel like we saw, we saw a version of this team, Sands Ant, that can win games like, I don't. I'm hoping Ant doesn't play tonight because I'm curious to see if that's real or fool's gold. Well, on the flip side of saying that that's not sustainable, the reason they won the game, aside from the fact that the Clippers were also wildly shorthanded, mm -hmm. um, is that they played hard. And if there's one thing that has been a constant in this three-game winning streak is that it, the way that they've played just looks different. They've still given up offensive rebounds, but what happens after the offensive rebound looks different. Um, the turnovers, they've just got to stop. That's just, that's getting out of hand. Um, but it's looked different. So and do you think that's been like the number one? This is the last 
part of this that I really wanted to get at. Yeah. Do you think that's been like the number one difference between losing six in a row and winning three in a row? Absolutely. Is it that simple? It's really that simple. And I think that in, and, and Rudy's pretty I mean, much said it in the media. Rudy was pretty much like, some- as long as we play hard, we're going to make mistakes. But as long as we play hard, we have enough talent that we should be fine. True. But they haven't had enough talent here recently. So that couple with not playing hard probably might be. Well, it's the not playing hard. <laughs> it might help us understand why they lost six in a row. The, but. The, the not playing hard has been a bigger issue than the talent. And that, well, and, yeah. but, but you know, we talked last pod about the, the, if you were to define this team in a phrase, it's consistently inconsistent. Well, if, eventually they're going to have to undo that. And here's the funny thing. So within all of this, they're five games. Four game, five games out of the four spot. Four games out of the four spot. Sorry, four games out of the four spot and two games out of the five spot. So that's the West in a nutshell. We also talked about this last podcast is, you know, you win five games in a row in the Western Conference and you jump five spots. Right now they are 19 and 21. Mm-hmm. The Lakers are also at 12, 19 and 21. Mm-hmm. Just above them, the Jazz at ten, which you say they're they're going to lo- they're going to start leaking oil pretty right. soon. They're right. twenty and twenty two. The Warriors are twenty and twenty, and the Warriors look like they got problems, not just injury, but there's something weird going on there. Yeah, I think the Clippers Wait till the last twenty five games. I think the Clippers have some things <laughs> they got to figure out. But if if Paul George and the Claw are healthy, they're going to be right where they are. The Kings, I, I'm you know, I will be interested to see how they close out this year the but last they, 40 games for them will be interesting when other teams start to get it together and they're in a conference but with, they got some nice pieces Sac- sacramento's got some nice pieces and i and i was one of the few people who thought the sabonis trade was a really good trade for them because it gives them a dude who can who can operate in a way and i know that uh tyrese halliburton is a really good point guard He's in Indiana. Yeah, they traded yeah, him yeah, for, yeah. But, for sabonis. Uh, sabonis yeah yeah so they're going to be but, it's not like they it's a, it's a mirage. The question is, are they the fifth seed? To me, well, they seem more like an eight, nine, ten seed. Here, here's here's where I think the Kings will. I, fi- I want to turn this into a Kings pot. Right. But here's what we'll find out about them: they're in a conference with the Warriors, the Clippers. As long as LeBron's got, as long as he's on life support, and if AD comes back, then the Lakers become dangerous because the Western Conference has allowed them to hang around. And they're playing better in their last 10 games with 6-4. Right. So if you're the Kings, just your conference is a gauntlet, and those are the teams you play the most. So we'll see what happens down the stretch with the Kings when those teams that have championship aspirations, and LeBron's always got championship aspirations mm-hmm. regardless, get serious about the playoff stretch run. So, and then, I think know, the Kings... The Trailblazers and the Jazz are like the three wild cards in the top ten. I agree. Um, and so here's the thing. In the West, the teams that can find consistency without being consistently inconsistent are going to flourish. The teams that stay consistently inconsistent are going to be battling for seven throughout of the playoffs all season long. Mm-hmm. So for the Wolves, it's health. Inconsistency, but guess what? Every team in the West is saying that right now. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma City's not an easy out. No. So, so, um, you know, it's, it's, 
that's just the reality of it. And that's why I said the last 40 games, I've been saying that for the last two podcasts, the last 40 games are going to tell the story because will they find that consistency? Now, if they lose tonight, it's just more of the same consistently inconsistent. If they lose tonight, I think, you know, I don't want to revisit rock bottom, but Detroit was rock bottom to me. If they lose to this Rockets team that has no idea how to win basketball games, no idea. The only thing I don't want is for, uh, the French kid to go there because all of a sudden I'll figure they'll figure out how to win games. No, I just want him to be in the Eastern Conference. So badly, I want that dude in the East. I mean, so I think it's a problem. I, I think we go right back to consistently inconsistent, but I think it's greater problem now because I feel like I understand they're playing harder, and I do accept that as a premise for why they lost six games and now have won six games, uh, three games in a row. But I feel like in winning, it's amazing what winning a game or two can do for your psyche, or at least as a fan, your outlook. Because I feel like not only are they playing harder, they're playing smarter. The, not last game. In terms of figuring <laughs> out, okay, not uh, okay. they're still but, doing but stupid stuff, but that's what they do. Consistent piece. But learning what Kyle Anderson can do and how functional he can be in this offense seems to have peaked over these last few games. I think they have three-fifths of a closing lineup with two uh, – with. Six guys, I'm sorry, not, well, four guys that they can fill in those other two spots and be really effective. But I think they feel like they have the three most important parts of the closing lineup, the facilitator, the closer, and the defensive anchor. Mm -hmm. And so the rest is filling around shooting, defense, and rebounding around those three spots until Cat comes back and then it becomes about one spot. So... Um, I think they should feel like as long as they play hard, they should be able to close out games. Now, again, if Ant doesn't play, then that changes that a little bit, but it becomes a huge opportunity for D'Lo to be the ice water in his veins closer that he fancies himself as. Mm. Well, I hate that word, but yes, <laughs> I'm afraid it's way too accurate. Fancies himself. Well, I mean, well, that's true, but, but but I feel like we did learn a little bit about that. We did see a little bit more of that on display in the Clippers game from him. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was also easy when you got a big lead. Um, but that also requires him to do it on the defensive end as well. You can't just be a closer on offense and be a turnstile on defense. And that goes back to what we talked about in terms of him having to find his role and fit on this team versus Finch having to find a fit for him. I think Finch, and, and we talked about this from the beginning of the podcast um, um, production that we do. Finch is great at playing the long game. People, fans criticize Finch for always saying, well, let the players figure it out for not calling timeout soon enough, which by the way, he's, change that around. I think Finch is very much now mm -hmm. said, Man, okay, I, right. He's identified where the slippery slopes are. I was just going to say he's, he's slippery and, slope. Right. And he's like, okay, we're nipping this in the bud. We're nipping that in the bud. We're calling, he's calling more plays. He's understood that he has to be more hands-on with this Young particular team. group. Um, but I think that again, part of letting them figure it out, is letting them figure out that they need the coach. 
<laughs> you know, and I think that's something when fans are, oh, Finch and his laid back style of letting him figure it out isn't going to work with this team. Remember, we talked about coaching in the NBA is about ego management and preparation. So sometimes letting them figure it out is letting them figure out that they need the coach mm-hmm. to win games for them. Well, I, you know, I want to wrap there because to me that is a really profound way to kind of look at what's happening right now. And that's a coach's I perspective. Feel like like, a <laughs> it's a coach's perspective, but I feel like like collectively they're understanding that more mm-hmm. than ever. Mm-hmm. They're understanding that important mechanism. So I'm I'm looking at the, the next five games. And so it's going to be, I think we're going to learn a lot because they got Rockets tonight. And then they got a rematch with the Pistons who, let's just face it, embarrassed them. Mm-hmm. And then the Suns who are a little bit of a mess right now. And then the Cavaliers, and then they wrap up that five-game stretch against the Jazz. So, I don't know. I just I feel like this is going to get crystallized for real over these next few games, whether our Ant's playing or not, because I think it's, it's, it's go time in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly go time. I mean, and I think that's what, you know, the players meeting um, was about. I think that's what – Finch pretty much making it clear that I'm going to play the guys that are going to get us the W on a given night is about, and I mean, when asked about that in the media, I think it was Britt that asked him about that. And he's basically like, yeah, absolutely. Like that's where we're at now. I don't care about people's feelings because at the end of the day, this is how he feeds his family too. So it ain't about placating your feelings. It's about, it's about wins at Dig. this point. And in a Western conference that is there. Well, I don't necessarily mean one seed. I mean top four seed, though, is there for the taking because as bad as it's been for them, as you're playing, you know, they've played two-thirds of their season right now without Carl Anthony Towns. They've played half of their season without Kyle Anderson. They've played a quarter of their season without Towns or Anderson. Like, like Torian Prince has missed, what, half of what they've played so far. You know, Jordan McLaughlin's missed over half of what they've played so far. So it's there for the taking. Well, we're going to find out. That's for sure. We're going to find out just uh, how hungry they are for that. Can they be consistent? Can, if they are moving toward consistency, that. they're going to win the next two games. If they are moving toward consistency, at worst, they split Cleveland and Phoenix. And if they're moving toward consistency, they beat Utah, and then they have a rematch in Denver, and you know we'll see where they're at at that point in time. But if they are moving toward consistency, they win for the next five games, and that would make it seven out of eight. And I bet you that puts them in the five spot. Okay. Time will tell right there because uh, that's exciting to fantasize about. I'm looking to see what happens in, in real life. This has been another episode of The Coach and the Crooner. That was the coach himself, Coach Frank Twally. I'm Julius Collins, and we want to say special thanks to our man, super producer Lloyd Leon, for always making it look good and sound good for us. So shout out to him. Uh, let's go. We're going to find out. By the time this pod is up, we're going to find out what they did tonight. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next several weeks, I guess, Coach. Look, I'm really, really looking forward to what happens. We talked about the last 40 games. We are on game 40. Um, The next two games um, after the the second game that we just talked about against um, Detroit, Mm -hmm. that makes the halfway point of the season. If they win these next two, they're at 500. And then we're in the stretch run. Okay. Well, everybody, you know what's up. We're the coach and the crooner. 
and uh, we'll be assessing all season long and then into the off season. So we appreciate you listening. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform. We out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Coach and the Crooner podcast. If you have any suggestions or interest in promoting or sponsoring the podcast, please contact us via our inbox on Twitter at Coach Crooner on Twitter. Yeah.